This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant and expert witness and author and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to speak about some of the defects that give rise to construction defect lawsuits and claims and how those defects, lawsuits, and claims relate to the business of insurance, which insures the contractors, builders, and architects against tort suits for defective construction. First, there is such a thing as a defective below-grade wall, which pertains to deficiencies involving basement walls or retaining walls for structures built on slopes. Below-grade walls completed without the following waterproofing measure are considered defective. A waterproof membrane, a protection board, gravel fill, a foundation drain, and filter fabric. Causes of this kind of defect in below-grade walls can be caused by grade slopes towards the building, inadequate waterproof membranes, no weep screed, which is a tool used to drain moisture from concrete or stucco to protect against water intrusion, no extension of waterproof membranes above grade or over a footing, no foundation drains, no gravel or filter fabric around the drain, and or no waterproof membrane under the slab. Visible signs of such a defect include effervescence and water stains on walls, ponding against the building and on basement floors, and moisture migration through slabs. Other defects that often cause litigation are called defective hold-downs. Hold-down def defects involve the metal clamps used to hold wood members to the foundation. The two most common types of hold-downs are the embedded strap and the anchor bolt. Defective hold-downs do not prevent a shear wall from lifting off the foundation. These are usually caused by insufficient hold-downs, including but not limiting to a missing hold-down, undersized hold-down, insufficient attachment to the end stud, neglecting to nail or bolt it, wrong sizes of holes for the bolts, strap or bolt improperly embedded into the foundation, Improper location for a hold-down. Hold-downs, of course, should be positioned at the end of a wall adjacent to an end post at the proper distance from the edge of the foundation. And, of course, improper installation of hold-downs. Potential damage caused by defective hold-downs can be viewed because of the existence of cracked finishes, water intrusion, ruptured plumbing and gas lines, partial or total collapse of the framing system, 
or a personal injury. Other defects that are of importance and create much litigation are defects in design. In order to sustain a claim for defective design, plaintiffs must first establish a prima facie case. Two essential elements of a prima facie case are injury and causation. The restatement second of torts section 402a requires a plaintiff to prove that a product is in a defective condition and is unreasonably dangerous because the determination of whether a product is unreasonably dangerous is made through a risk-benefit analysis. The plaintiffs bear the burden of proving that the risks outweigh the benefits of the design. The word defective is often used to express a legal conclusion upon which liability may be based. When so used, defective is not a test for reaching the legal conclusion, but is merely an abbreviation of the term defective condition that is unreasonably dangerous as used in Restatement Second of Torts, Section 402a. In addition, however, defective also is used in design defect cases to refer to an aspect of the product that, according to the plaintiffs, causes the product to be unreasonably dangerous. A defect does not mean a mere mechanical or functional defect, but is anything that makes the product unreasonably dangerous. The Colorado Supreme Court dealing with the issue said, quote, First, the open and obvious nature of risk does not necessarily bar a strict liability claim for failure to warn. Second, the plaintiffs in asserting a design defect claim must show injury, causation, and the unreasonable dangerousness of the product according to the risk-benefit analysis. Third, the correct standard with which to determine the existence of defectiveness must be complete. Improper design includes, but is not limited to, the following. Failure to account for a structure's intended usage. Failing to provide for sufficient nails per square foot to attach wood members. Failing to account for the existence of expansive soils under a structure. Increasing a span of framing or decreasing size of framing members. Or failure of the designer to plan for future load and occupancy of a structure. I remember as a young man visiting the new Lloyd's building in London and seeing the escalators that go from one floor to the other of traders filled with brokers with every step on the escalators filled with a human being. And the designer of the structure, looking at such crowds on the escalators 
shockingly reported that he did not design the escalators for such a heavy load and was worried that they might collapse. They never did. The design works and it's still operating safely, but it was something that could have resulted in a fairly major construction defect suit. And consider when a structure collapses due to a load that is greater than that what the designer anticipated, then the owner, builder, and designer can all be found liable for the injuries and damages caused by the collapse. Consider what could have happened if the escalators in the new Lloyd's building at 1 Lime Street in London had collapsed with people on it and the injuries that each one would have suffered. It's beyond belief, and it is something worthy of consideration and design that should be understanding the load and occupancy of a structure. Then there's also weather-related defects. All structures are subject to the effects of weather. Structures must be designed to withstand forces of nature, and if they fail to do so, builders, developers, and engineers are subject to suit for the defective structure. Structures cannot be expected to withstand all hazards imposed by nature. Buildings are, however, expected to hold up to typical risks faced by typical structures in specific locations. The determination of what a typical risk or typical structure is a function of the trier of fact, the judge or the jury, based on evidence presented at trial. For example, a structure built in a desert with a flat roof would be typical, but not so if built in the mountains of Colorado where heavy snowfall is expected. If the person who is injured by actions of nature, such as excessive snowfall, tornadoes, hurricanes, or earthquakes, can prove that the builder or owner owed a duty to the occupants, breach that duty, and cause damage to others, liability will lie in favor of the injured person or owner of the injurious property. For example, liability may be found if a structure on the west coast of the United States, where earthquakes are common, did not have its structural members bolted to the foundation, or a structure in Tornado Alley of the Midwest was built without a basement, or in a rainforest of western Washington state was built without drainage or roof gutters. Often, Construction defect suits are brought because of the installation of an insufficient roof or roof system. Typical problems encountered with roof systems are leaks or the inability to withstand the forces of high winds. Leak-prone roofs or roofs that do not hold up to strong winds can be caused by design complexity and can involve either pitched or flat roof designs. The majority of roofing problems are a direct result of improper specification of building materials, which can result in water penetration, intrusion, or other problems.
poor drainage design and or the inadequacy of structural members can result in cracks and deterioration of roofing components and materials. A roof that has not been built with consideration of the types of windstorms that can occur in the location where the structure exists depends on geographic location of a structure and can lead to a roof failure and is considered a defect. At the time of construction, the following types of windstorms common to the area must be considered. Hurricanes, gales, tornadoes, Santa Ana winds, or unusual high winds. Roof failures can range from shingles blowing off a roof during high winds to the total loss of a roof structure in a tornado. In one case, a roof collapsed from the weight of snow and the landlord was found to have no obligation to clear snow from the roof. A roof failure can bar recovery in the following cases. When the economic loss doctrine can be applied to prevent liability to the builder, when the only damage caused by the collapse due to the weight of snow was the failed product, when the problem arises after the expiration of a statute of limitations or a statute of repose, or when the owner released the builder from liability with a valid contract supported by sufficient consideration. This video was adapted from my book, Construction Defect and Insurance, Volume 2, which is available as a Kindle book and or a paperback from Amazon.com and is one of a eight-volume work on construction defect. It is described in detail on my website, Zalma.com, by clicking on the link to the insurance claims library. If you found this video of just a few of the types of construction defects that exist and want to learn about more, you can buy the book. And if not, please refer this video to your colleagues. It's free. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel and my uh, Rumble channel so and my blog so that you can be informed of future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.